I have a question for you. Are you an architect and are you broke? If the answer is yes, it's what I've suspected for many years, as I am indeed an architect myself. This podcast is about debt in the profession of architecture, and I want to hear from you. Are you just surviving month to month with no extra money for savings? Or are you seriously broken in debt and stress and worry about your income? Or does your wife, husband, or significant other earn substantially more than you, which gives you a great life, given the ability to choose your clients, when you work and who for? Or have you attained financial freedom in architecture? If you're in the first two categories, surviving month to month or facing financial difficulties, how is this affecting your mental health? Are you suffering from depression or even despair? We need to talk about the impact of debt, but also more importantly, how to get out of debt. And I need you to come forward to make this podcast possible. Welcome to The Brook Architect. You will hear from real architects with very real problems. And maybe some will offer some real solutions so that you never become a broke architect. Please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. Here are some highlights of what to expect in this show. Oh, they froze my bank account. I got scammed. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. There's moments where I was like sleeping in the in a park, nearly. Where am I gonna stay tonight? I haven't got any money for room. Are you almost like a homeless <laughs> architect? Not broke, you were homeless as well. The broke architect. I have with me today Russell Henderson, an architect based in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Firstly, welcome to the first season of The Brook Architect. And what is more special is that we're recording this together in Johannesburg, South Africa. And I uh, just really want to thank you for being uh, here today, Russell, because I know we've got a lot to get into. Welcome. A lot to get into. You're welcome. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah, firstly, I always ask this question is, how are you today? Um, yeah, good, good. Um, well, good weekend. I'm here in Johannesburg on a holiday, so yeah, no work, um, just relaxing for a change. So yeah, good. That's a, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think we share, we share something in common as well because we did our degree at the same university. Oh, didn't yeah. we at Huddersfield yeah but, but you did your diploma in Leeds was it that's right yeah yeah so let's start there I think if we if we start there and just talk about your education at Huddersfield and this is about money and you know I myself got full grants mm. maybe you did too yeah um, how was it yeah so I did my first degree Huddersfield so three years I failed my second year, so I had to repeat that, so it's kind of four years. But I was lucky, probably similar to you, I got a, I think it was just before, I started the course just before Tony Blair came in, I think it was. So they were still giving um, um, grants, so the fees were all paid for, I didn't have to pay for fees, that was all, the university fees were paid for by the government. And then I got extra money from the government and that paid for my accommodation, I think. So all I needed money for was basically to live, and I was lucky my parents kind of helped me with that. Um, 
So my first degree was okay, really. Um, it's just during the summer and stuff, you get summer jobs and stuff, mm. a bit of cash on the side. Um, when I failed my second year, I only failed like one project, but I had to repeat it, but it meant um, repeating the year, really. I had to wait another six months to start the university again. So That's that, interesting, because sometimes they let you they let you do extra work over the summer, but it wasn't the case. Yeah, it was, but uh, I was a bit stupid. I just handed. I thought it was done. I thought this is okay. I just handed it in, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it wasn't. So, yeah, and I had to wait until January to start it again. God, right. I still have nightmares about that. It's it a terrible time. So don't ever. That's. But it's been a lesson learned not to fail, uh, as well, um, which came, which I'll talk about later. So yeah, my first degree was was okay, and then I, then. So I basically had no money, because um, I didn't really work much apart from the summer. And then when I finished the, this is part, Reba part one, so the first three years, I was trying to get, I was trying to find a job in Cambridge, where I'm kind of, from, I'm from that area, so I went back down oh. south to Cambridge. And I couldn't, I had no money, and like, I couldn't find a job. I had a couple of interviews, um, but it was difficult to get a job. Then I finally got one, it was that structural engineer firm. Oh, okay. I think we were talking about like Bat, um, Jacobs. Oh, Batty. Yeah, yeah. Been, been, um, they were called something else in Cambridge, but they got bought by Batty, I think, afterwards. I mean, uh, Jacobs. So I worked there for one year, and I remember the salary actually to this day. It was £12,500 a year. Uh, what year are we talking here? 2000, yeah. Wow, okay. So 12500 in the year 2000. I don't think that's a, a particularly lot of money, um, but I don't know. I, I can't remember that you posted something recently about what the part one was getting currently. I don't know if you remember that, but the figure is not drastically different. Is it really? Yeah. I can't. It might be in the sort of early twenties. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's. Um, so, that, but the weird thing was there was this structural technician. They put me on a day course once a week to study civil engineering i didn't really know what i was doing that time oh. so every wednesday i go on the civil engineering course i just said yes they asked me because i thought oh maybe i'll go into structural engineering i don't know yet yeah and um, there was a there was a guy my age there and he was a he just finished his structure so he was a i don't know qualified structural technician and he was quite he was quite jealous of me he was like he knew my salary and he was like saying my first day there, he was saying, do you know that you're the highest paid trainee technician, structural technician or something? And um, this was weird, like, and he was like, I don't think he liked me because I was get, probably getting the same as him. And he was, yeah, it's a bit weird. But it wasn't much, though, like you said. Yeah. But when you're young, you're like, I don't know, what was it, 20? I don't know. So there was that rivalry in the office. And I didn't know anything about structures, so I was, like, learning the... Um, but it was yeah. So there was that. So I did that for a year. But the civil engineering course was bloody boring. I didn't never pass that. I, <laughs> <laughs> and then I finally got. An, and then I got had an interview for a small architectural practice in Cambridge down the road, and had the interview. And nice people. It's like um, quite small, medium sized practice in Cambridge City Centre. Um, 
And they, they would go, oh my God, you're working for a structural engineer, you've been doing structural drawings for the last year, come and work for us. <laughs> so I thought it was, it was a positive thing then. Uh, yeah, no, no, they said, what are you doing? doing? No, they said, what are you doing? Oh, okay. Like that. But, but later it proved good experience of structural things with work and stuff. And they offered me, they didn't put my salary up at all, hardly. It was like, I think 13,000, like half, half a half, like an extra 500. Yeah, like. Hey. And the, you're not young, you don't really know. No, he could have negotiated that a bit. I, did, I, just, I think I yeah. just took it. Because I was just desperate to have a work. Because I applied to do my part two after a year in structural engineering. And they said, no, you can't. Right. You need more experience in architecture practice. So I was desperate for experience in architecture practice. So I, took, I got that job. And that was a good job. Um, and I ended up working there for two years. And they didn't increase my Ooh. salary or anything but when I told them I'm going back to do my part two after two years so this is my third year at Brown one year of structural engineering right. two years so when I told them I'm going back to a diploma uh, the, the, the directors called me in the conference room and they said oh is it money do you want more money there <laughs> that <would have> <laughs> I've already made the decision to, they were forcing me to stay like they were trying to convince me to stay there which was nice um, I liked it there um, I still have fond memories of it, so I just went back to do my yeah. part two. But like, I didn't have much money to do my part two, but I'm, I applied for a further education loan. Okay. Yeah. Which was your fees paid though? Your fees were paid still for your part two. Yes. Yes, I think. I think so. You want to remember? Yeah. yeah. It still yeah. continued on. Yeah. Um, from the because I started the course. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was. I, can't, I think it was around about that time. Yeah. yeah. But um, I didn't have any money for anything else, yeah. really. I think I saved not, nothing much, really. I didn't save much what I remember. Maybe a little bit. But I knew it wasn't much because I wanted to do the international course. I wanted to do stuff like that. And so I went to the bank and said, can I get a student loan? They said no, because... Um, You've already done your degree. You're a graduate. You're classed as a graduate. So I couldn't get a student loan for my part two. This is Lloyd's Bank. And I went in there and she was doing... She was doing, no, you're a graduate. She was typing on the computer. She said, no, you can't get a student loan. You're a graduate. Computer says no. There was something like that. I said, well, yeah, but I'm not a graduate. I was, I was trying to explain this. an architecture degree. I'm not... But then she found this other, this other thing. It was called a further education loan. And uh, I never don't like the idea of loans, but I just took it because I think my parents didn't really want to help me anymore. They, 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 I think they, just, had they didn't understand like the architecture things long, and um, they just they just figured out uh, oh like, we help you with your degree. We don't really they weren't really oh you're going back to university what for you know like that yeah yeah so um, I think it was ten thousand pounds this further education loan. I looked the other day and I think it still is. T- Ten thousand pounds. So right. Lloyd's Bank gave me that, and I think the payback was quite minimal. The, the interest and stuff, like a st- it's basically similar to student loans. Yeah. Low. Yeah. But I'm still a bit worried about it though, because my dad was like, "No, no, don't, don't do that. You're in it. You know, you know, he's putting me off." But I just did it because uh, I just went for it because it's my third year out. I had to go back, so I did that, and then finished my diploma, and like I didn't. That was stressful because the money thing. I couldn't fail, I couldn't fail like last time because I only had this loan to last me to, for two years, that was it. Yeah. So, yeah, I finished diploma and then I worked, then I got a job 
uh, getting a job. Um, you know, I be- moved to Leeds and I got a job, and I got loads of offers actually. Got f- finished after the diploma, and they were offering around. Um, it was less than twenty thousand. I remember. I think it's around eighteen thousand pounds. They were offering like. There was two, one big architectural firm. Did I say the name? IDAS in these? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've left the UK now anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I can't remember. And there was this medium to large practice in Headingley in Leeds. And then there was, uh, there was another practice as well in Leeds. So there's three practices offered me a job and I had to choose which one. And I chose Idas because they were a big famous firm and everything. Yeah. And that's what you do when you're younger. And um, so they were offering something like, I can't remember, I think it's around 18000 or $17,000 pounds a year. Yeah. £18,000. But the other practice, I was going for Idas, but then when the other practice, because I went for an agency, they were kind of negotiating these salaries a bit. Oh, so you used an agency. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, some uh, Asian guy, yeah. So he lined up all the interviews for me, and he was calling them for, um, for salaries. I was trying to make him. He goes, "Tell," I was like, "Tell Idas, I want this money. Tell that I want this." I was negotiating a bit, and he he would call me up and goes, "Oh, so and so, they want to make an offer. So and so want to make an offer," and um, that. I went for Idas, but the the other there's another practice I liked. I wasn't quite sure of. They offered me more money than Idas, like another grand or two. Okay. And, but I turned it down. I took the Idas one for less money and bigger practice. Yeah. But the other, looking back, the other place was better, much better experience. I turned that down and more money. It was just because I I wasn't. I'd rather work on these bigger projects, but it turns out that I didn't really. Yeah. Um, well, let's, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into that because you, um, you did, you did your part two and then, um, with ADAS, is that, that's correct. And then how did you, how did you get your part three? I'm just interested in that. Oh uh, yeah. Cause after ADAS, I got made redundant after one year. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, and that was, a, that was before the, um, recession. And then I moved to Atkins in Leeds, which was another large. I just got that. I was lucky to get that job through friends. Uh, so I was there. Then um, I was, then, I worked there for three years. After the first year, I started studying for part three. Um, started saving a little bit of money, and I, I had this thing. I wanted to live abroad, and so I, was, I applied for a visa for Australia, like a working holiday visa. No, and then I applied for. A, a permanent residency for Australia, so I applied for that. Then the then I was taking my part three three exams. I passed that. And that was in the UK. Yeah. 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 So I started at Atkins two thousand six. Yeah. So I was there three years. Two thousand nine, I finished. I passed my part three two thousand nine, and then right. the recession kicked in at the same time. So I was bloody lucky to finish that, because um, otherwise I wouldn't be screwed. And yeah. then that's and then as soon as I finished part three, I got made redundant. There was making those people redundant, like about 10 people in the office. And that gave me the push out of the door to leave the country and I head to Australia. Wow. And that's, uh, that's the next part of the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's focus on that because you, uh, that was pretty much it for the UK as I understand it. And you, you 
moved to Australia. And... Yes, actually, that's another good thing being made redundant. I got money for that. It was something like for redundancy pay I got. Um, so the difference between, so part one I had, I got £12,500, mm. then went up to £13,000, then the diploma I got something like £18,000, then I switched job to ag- to Atkins, I think they didn't increase it much, maybe eighteen, nineteen thousand pounds. It never, I never reached twenty thousand pounds. I remember that before you left. Yeah, yeah. and then there's other yeah. people. It's like in, I remember like stories of people leaving and getting twice as much, but I didn't get that. And then the redundancy pay that was another push out the door to leave the country. I got, I think it was something like a month. Was it a month's you had to be a minimum there like a year or two years I can't remember yeah and then it was like a month's pay or was it a week's pay I can't remember for every year you've been there right so I've been there three years I don't know I don't think it was a month's pay I think it was a week's pay so I got I can't remember now but I got a I got a I got a, a bit of money not not amazing yeah but I got a bit of money so that helped with my traveling leaving the country so then I. I booked, I didn't buy tickets, I just, I think I headed to, um, where did I go, I think I went through, I travelled a couple of countries on the way to Australia, I think it was um, in Greece, Turkey, then I went to Cairo, Egypt, I visited a friend in Cairo for about 10 days, and I walked all the way around Cairo and everything, then I went to Thailand, for it was just going to be 10 days and then oh wow I yeah I, I liked it there and um applied for a job interior designer and I got it so I ended up living there for a while so I never made it to Australia so I remember the salary um for this so you went on holiday to Thailand and then you decided you want to work there yeah wow okay and I just applied for a job and I got it and I ended up there two and a half years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it was, so the, it was a big it was a big firm actually, um, in Bangkok, um, international firm. It was more interior design, but hundred the salary was a hundred thousand baht. Oh, that's a month. Yeah, that was a month. Hundred thousand baht a month. So that's two thousand, two thousand four hundred and sixty pounds a month. Right. So what's that in um? What's that a year? If you multiply that by twelve. That. 28,800 a year. What the hell? That's more than I got in the UK. That's more than I got that. Yeah. How did that? Yeah, I was, oh, that, was, that was pretty good. You were qualified, qualified architect, and, um, you yeah, know. Part three, I had, yeah. Yeah, so how, how, how was that experience then? You know, what, what kind of, you were there for two and a half years? You know, you had a good job. We've established it's well paid. It was great for for about a year. It was great, and then it all turned to sh- <laughs> <laughs> And how got, did it turn oh, to sh- I had the job, then I, it was going great. Then I had this crazy Thai girlfriend. I did a podcast all about it. It's like, but um, basically lost the... I had a motorbike accident. I was stupid. I went and hired a scooter and had an accident. And then um, I took days off because I cut my hand and stuff. And I went back to work. They they were getting they having second thoughts about me, and um, so then I went back after a week, and they offered they, they were doing this weird thing. They were like, they wanted to they got me a work permit. It was like it took a while or a year or six months or something to get the work permit properly, yeah. and then since they got the work permit, 
they said, oh, we've got your work permit now, um, but we want to give you less salary and we want you to do like this kind of different role. And I wasn't happy with it, so I left. Um, and they paid me off as well. They gave me like a couple of months' salary to pay me off. Oh, yeah. right, okay. So I thought, oh, to hell with these guys. I'll find another job, okay, in Bangkok. There's plenty of cool practices here. And I tried my best. I had so many interviews. And I, I couldn't get another job in Bangkok. It was, oh, man, I don't know what was going on. Wow. I think it was something to do with the... Um, but you don't, I was like so lucky to get that job. I didn't realise... There's like no, there's no architects working in British architects working in Bangkok. Hardly anyone. You can I must. It must have been a miracle I got that job, and I had um, I had all, I had interviews with all the big practices and it went really well. And at the end they go, oh, what about visa? And I go, oh, I don't have one. And they go, oh, I can see them. I can see them there. Right. So I think it was the visa thing, and um, so I was just having interviews, hoping someone would give me a job, but they, on a tourist visa. Um, mm. So it didn't work, so I was, must have been so lucky with the first job I got. So I did that for like, God, and I ended up living there for so long trying to find a job, and then I ran out of money. Um, you ran out of money? Yeah, because I was living there six months trying to find a job, paying for a room every, every day. Um, I had an apartment, but I had to move out of that because I couldn't pay it anymore. My... Um, um, did your Thai girlfriend help you out? Yeah, sure, all the time. And we have an arguments because of it, and that didn't go very well. And um, that was uh, really bad arguments. Like I had, I was like, continue to have interviews, and then my, oh, that I can't really remember much of it. I had that further education loan, didn't I? Um, oh, back I, in the UK. Yeah, and I can't remember whether I paid it off or not. I think I did. I think my brother helped me off, helped me out paying that off. Um, so I think I paid that off just before I left the UK right. with the help of my brother. So I owed my brother money on that. And then when I was in Thailand, I started to go overdrawn in my bank. And they were charging me when I went overdrawn. And that, I kept doing it. And um, they weren't very happy. But I was like, in the, I, there's nothing I could do. And I started asking my parents for money. And then um, I, think my, wow. I think it was my Lloyds Bank. I think they called like a... I think I can't remember how much overdrawn I was. It was like I don't know. It can't be more than a thousand pounds or yeah. something like that. It's like small money looking back now. But um, then the, I think Lloyd's Bank hired one of those debt agent people to call me, and they were calling oh my, my mum. They called my mum in the UK, and my mum was all worried. And then they, my mum gave me the mobile phone number of mine in Bangkok. I got this bank. This. Debt agent bank calling me in Bangkok. Like, where, where are we getting no. our money back? Yeah, and there's me like trying to find a job, no money in Bangkok, and I couldn't leave the country. I had all this. That's the podcast I talked about. Or like, yeah, overstayed my visa, um, which is not a good thing in Thailand. No, so I was there like kind of over illegally kind of thing, and I didn't have enough money to extend my visa, and then um, my passport got damaged, and I couldn't afford a new one. Um, uh, so you, you hit pretty much rock bottom, I would say. Yeah, there was those moments where I was like sleeping in the in a park, nearly. There's days when I, I was paying for the room, for different rooms every day, day by day. I was living day by day for at least a year. Wow. Um, so like there's moments when I thought my girlfriend paid for the room for a week and then 
the hotel people said, you haven't paid for, for it for a week. I was like, what? I thought she'd been paying. And they threatened to call the police and stuff, yeah. And then I was worried about my passport. So I had no money. And there's one moment when I'm in the park with my suitcase. And I've got, where am I going to stay tonight? I haven't got any money for a room. Like, calling my parents. My parents were just going crazy. Stop giving me money. But in the end, I convinced my parents to... Uh, I got an email from that Australian visa came through. So this is that, so that was the yeah that was the rock bottom of my life. Are you almost like a homeless <laughs> architect? Not broke. You were homeless as well. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, um, so so then I got an email from the Australian immigration thing saying your visas come through. You just need to do a chest scan, health X-ray thing. And then you can immigrate to Australia permanently. Wow, but that's going to cost money, right? Yeah, so I like begged my parents for that. My dad was like, I'm not buying you a ticket to go somewhere. The only ticket I'll buy is back to the UK. And I thought, shit, I don't want to go there. And um, so he convinced me. And then I had a mate, he's an English friend. He just happened to move to Perth, Australia recently. He said, come and stay with me. Oh, oh wow, that's nice. Yeah, so all I needed was until you find a job. So all I needed was the flight there. Yeah. And my health X-ray. So I just got that from my parents. My dad paid for the flight in the end. I think my mum paid for the chest, the extra health X-ray, and I, I got a flight to um, I got out of there. And I was worried actually when I left Thailand because my passport was like something like nearly a year. Overstay. I thought they were going to just throw me in the detention centre. Yeah, when you were going through the airports. What what happened with your Thai girlfriend as well? Because you were like leaving her behind. I had to, yeah. It was just not nice. Yeah. She helped me. I don't know. I I gave her a bit of money to um, bribe the officials, the airport officials. But I'm not actually convinced whether she did that that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. I went there and some guy, there were... I tell you, I was like left it. I left the airport and they saw my passport, and then they called me into this room, and then I started crying like in front of them, and they and then they were whispering, and then the guy was signing something on my passport. He wrote something, and they let me through. Like, yeah. Wow. Um. So yeah, that was that was really bad. So yeah, so that was that's the worst part. So and then ever since I landed in Australia, I sorted myself out. Um. I got a job within three months. Right. Um, around sixty-five thousand um, Australian dollars, I think it was. Um, so that's um, sixty-five thousand Australian dollars, which I was trying to push for. Like I was going to all these interviews. I was trying to push for like seventy-five thousand, but like. You need local experience, mate. <laughs> and like, they're like really stingy. So that's equivalent to ah £37,000. Yeah. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah, that's about right. So I got around that. Plus you get like um, another 10%. Uh, it's like a pension. They call, they call it superannuation. So you get $65,000 minus tax. Plus ten percent, which I don't know, seven grand goes into a pension fund. Yeah. As well, which I still got somewhere. I can't take it out. Um, so then, yeah. So it's like, it was all contract work. So within, I think within six months, I paid my parents off. I had a car. 
uh, I sorted everything out. Like within six months, I was, I was earning money and I was in the plus. I had wow. no debts. I mean, apart from the Lloyds Bank that oh, they froze my bank account in Thailand, so I had no British bank account. Thank you very much, Lloyds Bank, if you're watching. <laughs> and, and, listening. and I understand you don't have a British bank account even now no I don't no. wow uh, I have a because I, I got an Australian bank account when I landed it was all set up mm. and I don't know what's even going on with those, but they froze my bank account I never I didn't I couldn't even pay for my RIBA when I was in Thailand I couldn't even pay for my RIBA um, I lost my I lost my uh, reg, architect registration in oh, Thailand as well, I think. Because you didn't have the money to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and there's and the RIBA thing. So that was a really low as well, a low moment in my life. Like, yeah. I'm not even an architect anymore. I managed. I started working in Australia. I managed. I can't remember. I didn't have my license anymore. So what did I put on my CV? I can't remember if I put when I was applying for jobs in Australia. I think. Um, but I said I was a UK. I got it back anyway quite quickly. There's no, there was no. Once you, if you don't, if you lose your registry, you're not paid. You can't afford to pay for your architect's registration board. You, I think you get it back quite easily. Yeah, just you've met the criteria. It's just yeah. a case of um, paying C- your back pay and yeah. Continued professional development. Yeah, CBD. Yeah, I've got to prove that. So I got that back and then, so um, then I started earning some money in Australia. I started investing in stocks in Australia. I was getting a bit of a stock nerd. Um, ah. So I was work, worked in Australia for about two, just over two years. No, less, just less than two years. So I was in Australia less than I was in Thailand. Um, and then the job... So I was getting 65,000 Australian dollars a year. Then there was contracting. I worked, I worked for about three or four firms. One of them was... I was getting paid per hour, but it was roughly 65, maybe 75. A bit, I got a bit more, one firm they're paying per hour and I'd work on Sundays and Saturdays and stuff, I'd get a bit more money, that was really good. So I was earning a bit of money and then I got offered in the job in Tanzania and um, that was pretty good, that was bloody good money. I don't really want to say how much money that was. No, I don't, I don't yeah. need to, but how, how I mean, current how, job. how did you, were, were you looking or did someone contact you? How, how did you actually just uh, get just that job? An agency through LinkedIn contacted me. Right. Would be interested in Good old this. LinkedIn. Yeah. We'd be interested in working. I got the interview and I thought, yeah, I can't, I can't not turn this down, this opportunity. Even though I had my Australian visa, I, I was prepared to lose all that to go to Tanzania. So I was building wealth ever since now. Yeah. And um, I'm not in debt anymore apart from, I don't know what's going on with Lloyd's back. <laughs> to end the sort of podcast really is... Um, you know, now you've been there how many years in Tanzania? Uh, eight years. There was one time that was a bad time in Tanzania. I got, I got scammed by, um, like, because I was into stocks and stuff. I, I got contacted by this, um, these, I don't know if you heard the term, boiler room. It's a bit like, uh, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah. I just got scammed quite, I think I lost like six months of my salary. Yeah. Wow. And it was all done. They sent me a letter saying we're like a stockbroker, all this stuff. I thought it was really official and stuff. And um, I gave like maybe a thousand dollars. Then like they, like professionals over the phone convinced you. Mm. Then you could give another thousand. 
give another 5,000. And that went on for about six months before I realised, what the hell am I doing? And um, I gave them, I must have given them nearly six months of my salary. And that, that was a really, that was the, that, that was the other, it was like scary, like, yeah. I thought I had enough money, but um, it's just like, it's just depressing. You lost six months of your salary. It's like, yeah. you can never get it back because they're scammers. You, you don't know where they are. You don't know where their address is. You know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, yeah. it's not like, because it's international. They said they were in, I don't know, Japan or something, but, but um, there was no address. It wasn't official. It was, it was a scam. So I never got that back. So that was the only other bad thing that happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I just be careful, like with stuff like that. Everybody, uh, especially if you're an expat, I think that happens a lot. And you just people come contacting you, trying to scam you. Yeah. No, fantastic, Russell. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I don't know. There's a few surprises in there, <laughs> like the the um, being homeless. Um, that that's uh, that's pretty low. I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast so far who has gone. Um, to that extreme of being broke but it's good to see you, you're successful now everyone knows you on tiktok you're earning a good salary uh, not in debt um which is which is great and just thank you for being um, on the podcast any any final words you want to say yeah i think you get bad experiences there's good things that come in from them though like they say um, no one's successful unless they've been through something bad. I think it's true because it, uh, those moments, all the bad moments that's happened in my life, it's just, looking back, it's not bad compared to like, it's not as bad life as a lot of people in the world. But yeah, like those yeah. moments I mentioned, like um, failing your part two, failing a year, like you make sure you don't fail again after that. And then being so broke, you're thirsty for money after that. So I probably wouldn't have like, um, saved it as much and I wouldn't have like yeah. jumped at the chance for Tanzania if I didn't if I wasn't so broke and then you appreciate your life a bit more as well once you've been through all that yeah uh, so good stuff does happen from all that you know like I make sure like now I've make sure I've got money as an emergency um, I mean there's some people that go abroad and they don't even have money to go back it's crazy <sighs> Well, I, mean, I hope people listening to this, or you know, even if they're, if they're in a really difficult position, can see that you know you can recover from these uh, these really bad situations in your life. Great, as always, Russell. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Now I'd just like to say something about the Architects Benevolent Society. This is a society that is dedicated to supporting past and present members of the architectural community and their families in times of need, from those starting out on their careers to those who are now in retirement. They help people who have experienced illness, accident, redundancy, unemployment, bereavement, or other personal difficulties. Now support ranges from confidential advice to financial assistance. Now my um, ask to you all who's listening is consider giving a donation um, there's many ways you can do this and you can even volunteer for the ABS and even fundraise and also you can also leave a gift in your will so who do the Architects Benevolent Society help well architects architectural technologists 
landscape architects and employees of architectural practices, but also uh, the dependents of, um, of, the, of the professions I've just stated there. They also um, help and support students of architecture, architectural technology or landscape architecture. Now for more information on eligibility and to apply for help, please go to the ABS website which is absnet.org.uk. Thank you. Please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. The Broke Architect The Broke Architect The Broke Architect The Broke Architect